Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the fact that you're with us tonight. I thank you for your love. God, we just declare those words that you are great. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts tonight. You move, we get out of the way, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Man, can we just can we just give them a hand real quick? Um, I love those people, and uh, they do an amazing job every week. Um, I am very excited to speak to you guys tonight. <laughs> I don't get to do this that often, but thank you for Michael for thank you to Michael for letting me speak tonight. Just kind of share where me and my wife have been in the last several months, and I'm just going to share our story and just going to kind of start at the beginning. We, uh, my wife's name is Sydney. Some of you know her. Hi, babe. She's awesome. She's my best friend. We got married on April 27th, 2013, so we've almost been married three years, which is crazy. And um, after about being married for around two years, we kind of started talking about having kids, which is crazy in itself. And and so we found out on July 12, 2015, this past year, that we were expecting our first baby. And y'all, y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. Y'all don't know how to woo. The parents know what's going on. When you, when you find out that you're having a baby, it's, I don't know how else to explain it. I don't know how else to say it, but the only time in my life that I had that kind of just pure happiness was when I saw my wife walk down the aisle at our wedding. And so, so life is great. Things are awesome. So we're moving along through the first couple months of the pregnancy. And, and Sydney kind of had a rough first trimester, if you know what I'm talking about. And, and guys, let me, let me give you a bit of wisdom here. You're going to get married one day, right? And you're going to, hopefully your wife will get pregnant and you'll have Lots of little childrens. And, um, and you have one job. You have one job when they're pregnant. And that's to take care of them. Because your wife is dealing with a human inside of her that it sometimes hates her. And so we're talking about like morning sickness, they can't sleep, and we're not even going to talk about all the other stuff. And so you have one job, and that's to take care of her. And unless you ate something for lunch that can play bongos on your kidneys, you don't know what it's like. So, every guy in the room, this means yes, this means no. You, you guys feel me? Okay, great. Good to see you guys tonight. Glad you're here. Well, so we're moving along in the pregnancy, and that's when, like, kind of like four to five months, that's when the really fun stuff comes in, right? You get to go register for things, and most of you, I, I don't think you've done that, but... Registering for stuff for like your wedding and for, and for like a baby is the coolest thing in the world. Because you get to go to Target and Babies R Us, which are like the coolest stores in the world. And you get to literally scan whatever you want. So I'm like taking, I'll take five of those. I'll take 50 of those. Brett, why is a 60-inch TV on your baby register? <laughs> I have no idea that is why that's there. That is crazy. You don't need that, Brett. I, I do. 
do need that. I do need a 60-inch TV. My baby needs it. So we found out in the beginning of November of this past year that we were having a little boy. And we have, you know, the whole gender reveal party and stuff, and all our friends and family came, and it was awesome. And which, I got to come clean, and I just got to be honest with you right now. So Sydney and I were, were at work. We work here, by the way. And we were leaving the parking lot, and we were heading to our appointment to find out if we were having a little boy or a little girl. And um, I turned to my wife, and I said, I'm not going to look away. I want to know what it is. So we lied to everyone. We totally knew. I'm the best actor in the world. Everybody thought I was so surprised. I totally knew the whole time. Not even sorry about it either. But being a dad is something I've always dreamed about. Literally, that, that's something I've dreamed about since I was a little kid. And so to say that we were loving life and that life was awesome is an understatement. And then comes choosing a name, right? You don't want to name your kid something dumb. Let's just get real. Like, can you, because does anybody with me right now? Like, you don't want to name your kid something weird and dumb. Yeah, yeah, right there. Okay, cool. So we're going through like hundreds of names on like the 50 million baby apps that we have on our phones, right? And we just cannot decide on anything. And then it comes to me one day. <laughs> it comes to me. The name. So we finally decided on Carson Brooks Highstead. I gotta say, that's a pretty good name. I'm just saying. I don't care what y'all think. That's, that's a good name. But we were pumped, and life was great. So fast forward to November 21st. I was sick all weekend. I was not feeling good. And like our, kind of like our routine at night is like we watch Netflix, and then we pass out, right? And, um, and so... I had, like, got the bottle of NyQuil, like, I got the straw on the thing. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, NyQuil is my best friend that night. And so, but Sydney had said that her stomach wasn't feeling good. But she had kind of said that a lot during her pregnancy. And so I just kind of become used to it. And so I said, well, let me know if you need anything. I'm here for you. And I passed out. Well, sometime around 3.30 that morning on Sunday morning, my wife was standing next to me, and she shakes me and said, something is wrong. And it's never a good thing to wake up to, and I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on, so I jump out of bed, and I get dressed, and she says, we need to go to the hospital right now. So we're driving down 99 and I-10, and we are driving, I'm driving 100 miles an hour. I don't know what's going on. I keep telling her it's going to be Okay. It's going to be okay. And I didn't know that. I didn't know it was going to be okay. And I just had this horrible feeling. So we get to the hospital, we park, and we, we run in, and they take us up to labor, triage, and delivery, and they get us into a room. And the nurses come in, and, and they check on Sydney, and they realize something was definitely not right. And so they order an ultrasound, and they bring the ultrasound machine in, and after about 10 minutes, they said, your son is going to be born today. And Carson was only 23 weeks along, 
which if you know anything about babies, babies full term are supposed to be in the womb for 40 weeks. So immediately I knew that this is not good. In fact, this is really, really bad. And I'm freaking out. I'm, I'm telling Sydney, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. The doctors are going to know exactly what to do. And I'm, I know I'm lying to her. I didn't know it was going to be okay. I didn't know, it, know that everything was going to be all right. So they take us into uh, one of the corner delivery rooms, and I can see it right now because I could see West Campus. And I was supposed to be getting ready for church that morning. About 7.30 a.m., and the, uh, the doctor comes in, and she checks on Sydney, and she begins telling us what's happening. She said that Carson was going to be born that day no matter what. And there was nothing that they could do to stop it. So basically, if, if you're not catching on, that thing, things aren't good right now. And she begins listing out five million things that I didn't know what she was talking about. And they start having me sign forms to legalize them, life lighting us downtown. I mean, what am I doing here? What, what are we doing here? Why is my wife in labor? And why am I sitting here signing a bunch of stupid forms at, at eight o'clock in the morning? What are we doing here? I've never been that confused in my life. So the head of NICU from Texas Children's, which NICU is where premature and extremely premature babies are born and taken care of. The head of NICU from Texas Children's comes over. And I had to look this woman in the eyes and tell her, please do everything in your power to save my son's life. The doctors leave and I'm, I'm just pacing around the room. My family's in there, Sydney's family's in there. And I didn't know what else to say. I'm supposed to be, you know, the husband, the strong one, like I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to know all the, the right things to say and I didn't know what to do. Every, every second I was just saying, Jesus, please, Jesus, please, please let my son live. Because I didn't know what else to pray. I didn't know what else to say. I, I literally was at a loss for words. I didn't understand what was happening and everything was moving a million miles an hour. Yet somehow in my life, everything had screeched to an absolute halt. And all this time I'm like thinking that God is punishing me or something for, for sin that I haven't asked for forgiveness for. Friends and staff started showing up and people began finding out, and they started calling us and texting us. And every second I was getting a call or a text or an email, Brett, we're praying. We love you guys. God has you exactly where he wants, and he's, he has you in your hands, in his hands. These people didn't know what was happening. They didn't know the severity of the situation, but they were pleading and praying with, with God on our behalf. I don't know how to say thank you to these people. It does not do justice to how I feel about them. Because we were only 23 weeks along, we were given a 30% chance that Carson was going to survive. And out of babies that survive at 23 weeks, 
almost 70% of those have major issues, developmental issues later on in life. And most of those stay in the hospital on an average around eight months before they are released. So even if Carson did survive his birth, he was going to have a massive uphill battle. But his, his heartbeat stayed constant and strong on the monitor the whole time, and, and it, that gave us and the doctors a lot of hope. And so around 4 o'clock, the doctor comes in and, and asks everyone to leave and said, it's go time. Over the next 30 minutes, I've never... never pleaded and prayed like that in my life. I didn't know what else to say. I just said, Jesus, please. Please let my son live. I'm so proud of my wife. She's so, so brave and so incredibly strong. And all I can say is when your child is born, it's one of the most amazing and beautiful, incredible experiences anybody could ever have. So at 4.14 in the afternoon, Carson was born. He was here and he was beautiful. Our doctor was holding him in the palm of her hand. And she passed him off to the head of NICU and the nurses. And they immediately began working on him. And the whole time I'm just saying, Jesus, please. Please. And what seemed like the next five minutes were the longest five minutes of my life. The NICU doctor turned around and said, I'm sorry, but your son didn't make it. What do you say? What do you, what do you say? What do I say to my wife? I just kept asking God, why is this happening? Why is it happening to us? Why are we here right now and why is my son no longer alive? So here we were, we were just staring at each other and I, I didn't know what to do or to say. The hand Carson into my wife's hands and he was perfect. So beautiful. He was 13 inches long, one pound, four ounces. Lanky just like me. He looked just like me. It's crazy. And you can never understand the love that a parent has for their child until you have your own. You just can't. It's impossible. The first time I held my son, I understood more about the love that God has for you and he has for me than I have in almost 20, more than almost 20 years of being a Christian. Family, friends, church staff, they, they stayed at the hospital all day long. And, and Sydney and I worst and darkest day of our life. They shouldered the load with us. They cried, they prayed, they held Carson. Eventually everyone leaves that night and just through the morning, Sydney and I just, we cried, we prayed, we held our son. The entire day was a blur, but at the same time, I remember every second of it, every detail. And I can tell you at the hardest moment of my life,
left the hospital the next day around noon, and I can tell you the hardest moment of my life was walking out of that room with my son still in there. I didn't want to leave him. I didn't want him to be alone. Even though I knew exactly where he was. That drive home was horrible. That night was horrible. I stared at the ceiling for hours, just praying, God, what is, what's happening? Why is this happening to us? So much confusion, so many questions. Why us? Why now? No parent should ever have to bury their child. That's not how it's supposed to work. We had Carson's graveside service on Wednesday of that week, the day before Thanksgiving. And old Katie and a lot of people came, and I'm so thankful. It was amazing. It was perfect. It's now been 13 and a half weeks. Never in my life would I have imagined that we would be here. But what do we know? What do Sydney and I believe? What do we hold as true now that all of this has happened? We believe that, number one, God is good, that he is faithful, that Jesus is alive, and that he's for us. He's there when I feel like I'm praying to the ceiling. I feel like I'm completely alone. He's there in the greatest victory in life, and he's certainly there in the greatest pain. We didn't imagine we would be a mom and a dad like this, never in a million years. We prayed from the beginning that our child, our son, or our daughter would be a world changer. And that God would use them for his kingdom in ways that we couldn't imagine or we couldn't dream or think of. And God answered that prayer. Just not in the way that we wanted or we thought. You see, students, what what the enemy, what Satan intended to poison our family with, God is now using to perfect my family with. What the enemy intended to destroy my marriage with, what the, intent, what the enemy intended to destroy me and my relationship with Christ, now he, God is using that to strengthen our love, number one, for him, two, for each other, and thirdly, for this broken and lost world. And that's how God works. When tragedy hits you like a tidal wave, it's completely overwhelming. It hits everything in its path. It envelops everything. And don't think it won't happen to you. Because unfortunately, that's one of life's guarantees. Jesus promised it in John 16. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, when you and I have Christ... When we trust him, when we put our hope in him, we're able to take a step forward. I'm able to wake up in the morning without feeling completely hopeless. We're able to know that one, th- one day everything's going to be made right. You know, I believe Paul in Romans 8, and this has been wrecking my world lately. So I'd, w- I'd love for you to pay attention to, to this part of scripture because Romans 8 is one of the best chapters in, in all of scripture. I love it. 
starting verse 18, says, For I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. Verse 23, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we don't yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who more than that, who was raised to life, he sits at the right hand of God and is also interceding for you and for me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered to be sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul wants us to understand the victory that we have in Christ. The score's already been settled. Christ has already won. The enemy and death have been defeated forever. You know, students, when God allows you and I to walk through trials in our life, you'll figure out what you believe real quick. I prayed that God would let my son live. And he didn't answer that prayer. So does that mean God isn't good? Does that mean God isn't real? Does that mean he doesn't love me? He isn't for me when, I, when I'm praying, I'm just talking to the ceiling? Does that mean that? No. If God doesn't answer your prayer to, to heal your family member, if God doesn't answer your prayer when you are in desperate need of a friend or somebody and you feel completely alone, if God doesn't answer your prayer the way that you want, does that mean that he doesn't love you? Does that mean he doesn't hear your prayer? No just means that God is asking you to trust him and have a little bit of faith. I remember going through the Scars series last November and I sat right over there while Seth and Macy and some of our other staff members spoke and I just said, man, I've never had to really walk through anything like that in life. I'm very grateful, but holy cow. I did not realize that I was about to be at the foot of the mountain. And I almost, I, I used to say that my testimony was boring. How dumb is that? Students, don't you ever dare say that your testimony is boring. If you have a testimony, if you've accepted Christ, the best thing that has already hap has happened has already happened. And that's Christ taking you from brokenness. That's Christ taking you from the depths of despair and you completely alone. And he brought you out of that. That is the greatest testimony you'll ever have. You don't need anything more than that. 
wherever you're at tonight, no matter your age, your family, where you've been, what you've done, God is calling every single one of us out. He says, I have called you according to my purpose. And that's why God allows us to walk through trials. And I believe this. And he allows us to suffer so that number one, he'll receive glory. That people will see him. Number two, so that through the fire, God will somehow refine us into the people that he wants us to be. And thirdly, so that when others see what has happened in your life and in my life, people would see Jesus. I don't want people to see me. I want people to see Jesus. That's been my prayer all along. Wherever you're at tonight, whether life is going great, whether life you would say maybe is just average right now, or maybe if some of you were honest tonight, you might say, Brad, I'm kind of going through hell and back right now. I want you to know that God is for you and that he loves you. No matter your circumstance, God's still in control of the chaos. I cannot wait to see my son again, to literally think as I stand right here, right now. That my son standing before Jesus and God Almighty, it's the reason that I have hope. It's the reason why I can wake up. I remember that, that morning, the doctor came in and at 23 weeks, a baby is called extremely premature. And something interesting happens. At 23 weeks, a baby cannot open their eyes because their eyelids are still fused together. When Carson was born, he never opened his eyes. But how good is it to know that the first thing my, saw, my son saw was the face of Jesus. He didn't see suffering, he didn't see pain, he didn't see wires and tubes, he didn't see a cold hospital room. He saw perfection. He saw Jesus and he sees him right now. I believe that. You know, if some of you guys were honest, that's you tonight. The eyes of your heart have never been opened. You wouldn't be able to see hope if it was right in front of your face. With every head bowed, let's just get real for a second. If tonight you would say, I do not have a hope. I don't understand what you're talking about. All I know is this Jesus guy you keep talking about is I need that, I need hope. If you never have asked Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior tonight, I wanna give you that opportunity.